You may be seated. So by way of introduction, um, I want to pray for Daniel again before he shares. Um, a lot of you have heard this story, so I'm going, to, I'm going to repeat it, though, for those that have not heard it. When we were in Uganda, um, I received an email one morning from a local pastor, and he said, you, I had a dream last night about me, and he said, you were in water and you were struggling to come out of the water, but you did get out of the water, and then you needed to rest. And then he said, I don't know what that means, but I'm praying for you today. And uh, that was the day when we were traveling to, on, a, on a safari uh, kind of thing. We were killing a weekend, you know, spending some time seeing animals. And we were on a, on a um, gravel road and the driver lost control of the car. And we were heading to the right where there was a steep ravine that led into a, kind of led into a lake, you know. So we were at an elevation. And, uh, and so we were heading that direction as he lost control. And I remember him jerking the wheel and only myself and he had, the driver had seatbelts. No one else in the back had seatbelts. So the, the van spun and it tipped over and we went actually to the left into a grassy area. And uh, Christy had a couple big bruises, but uh, Grayson, who she was holding, was spotless. You know, he was, he was fine. And, and they were all, of course, thrown in the van because uh, they didn't have seatbelts in the back. So um, we know that God, uh, God has been good to us. You know, he's been good to us. And we were blessed um, by Pastor Daniel. Uh, he was the one that had that dream. So when I called him and told him what happened that day, he said, oh, he said, I will have, I'll have my church fast and pray now, you know. And uh, so we were, we were so blessed and encouraged. Uh, we didn't get to spend a lot of time with Daniel, but um, whenever he's in the United States, he speaks at conferences uh, about orphan care because that's what his church is doing in a very powerful way. And so uh, whenever he's in the States, I try to get to him. Last year it was in Chicago, so I drove down to see him. Uh, this year it worked out that he could, I could bring him up to us so you could hear what God is doing in his church and in his life and ministry. So I'm excited to have him come up. So would you welcome Pastor Daniel to come forward? Thank you so much, Pastor. Morning. Yeah, we are, we are glad to be here. I came with my wife. Uh, she's called Erica Kagua. Uh, we have been together for the last 17 years. And the Lord has blessed us with four children, biological children. Our firstborn is 16 years, and the last one is 8 years now. So we're glad that we're here. I know that the Lord is going to use us to be a blessing before you. And uh, we want to thank God for Pastor Phil and the wife, that the Lord connected us together. And I believe that there was a reason why he did it so. So we are here to share the love of the Lord together. Yes. And uh, we're going to have uh, our... Uh, PowerPoint slideshow, Sli- yeah, okay. and then I will be able to briefly talk about that, and then we shall continue. Okay, briefly. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's uh, Africa. That's the map of Africa. We come from East Africa. 
<laughs> yeah, I've already sensed. <laughs> Praise be to Jesus. Yeah, so I've already sensed that. So we are from, from East Africa. We are from Uganda. Uganda has a population of over 37 millions. And uh, uh, probably they may be from either Uganda, Kenya, or Tanzania. So one of those three countries, I believe so. And uh, uh, we have 37 millions. And in our country, we have over 2.6 orphans, millions. 2.6 millions, those are orphans in our country. And uh, that's what the Lord has called us to do in Uganda. We are, our church is so much involved in orphanage ministry. And one of the, uh, the tasks that the Lord has put upon our hearts to do is to uh, support the orphans uh, from uh, institutions back into the families. And then we, that's what we are doing. And that is the call the Lord has called us to do. So what we do in Uganda is we train. We train people and we train families. And then we also train NGOs, mostly those who are been called into a children's ministry. And then we show them the love and the family and the love of the Lord through, uh, I mean, uh, we, we train them and then we tell them more about the family because that's what the Lord has called the church to do. So we usually teach about transiting children from the orphanage centers into families. And we teach more about belonging, that these children need to have a belonging. Uh, at the end of the day, every child will need a father, will need a mother, will need somebody to call a father. And that's what we do in Uganda. And our church uh, is eight years and uh, we have some other churches. Actually, we have churches in Kenya, uh, in Nairobi, and then in Western Kenya, we have branch churches. Then we have churches in Tanzania, over 11 churches under our ministry. We have churches in, in DRC, uh, that's Congo. We have four churches. We have uh, churches in Southern Sudan, and then we also have churches in uh, Uganda, and then we have ministry also in Burundi. So, we travel from each time, doing the work of the ministry, uh, doing a lot of work in prisons, a lot of work in schools, in universities, and also having pastors and leaders trainings and conferences. And then we also do marriage seminars, men in place conferences. And then Erica is so much involved in women's ministry and children's ministry. So that is part of what the Lord has called us to do in Africa. We have been here. We have always been coming to the U.S. at least for a month and then sharing the love of Christ together with the brethren. And then uh, it's not our first time in the U.S., but it's our first time in Wisconsin. <laughs> so we are glad that we are here. <laughs> and we are glad that this, this family uh, that we came to connect as we came to pick them from the airport, we never knew them. We just got to know them through, some, uh, through another pastor 
that she called us that and told me that yeah i have my friends and they are my pastors and that they are coming to to uganda they are going to do some uh uh they are coming up to uh pick up a child and i yeah we told her that no we shall be glad to receive them we shall be there for them and we don't want them to be stranded when they come in our country because that's what the lord has called us to do so we went to pick them up and then we had a very big blessing to connect with them so we are so glad to be here thank you for receiving us in the name of jesus thank you amen uh yeah we can talk a little bit we thought we might do this interview style so i'll ask some questions and uh that'll be good I'd love for them to hear your story growing up and, and how you met Christ and kind of, you know, a little bit of your background that way. All right. Thank you. Yeah. I was born in uh, a, a polygamist family. My father actually had uh, different wives. And then uh, by the time that we were, were raised up, we found ourselves having some other siblings, but uh, from different mothers. And... Uh, our mother was in the house. She was the, the mother in the house. So as I was growing up, as we grew up together, time came that uh, we used it to hear some quarrels between my mother and my father. By that time, I was about seven years, seven to eight years. And I can't even recall uh, how many times I had this. But a time came that they could not stay together. Time came that they had to separate. And then after their separation... And then my mother had to go away, and then uh, uh, I had to stay in my father's house. And my mother went with, the, with my young sister, and then my older brother and another sister remained at home. And uh, we still had some other siblings, uh, half-brothers and half-sisters, and they were uh, grown-up ones. So I remained at home with my father. And uh, uh, within a very short period of time, my father brought in another wife. And then uh, I stayed with her for some time. My older brother was able to escape from home. And then plus my elder sister. And they went away to my grandmother's place. So I was forced to stay home because there was no young one also to take care of the house. So at the age of uh, uh, eight, I was already... Uh, doing the work in the house. I could clean the house. I could sweep the house. I could fetch water. I could cook food. I could do each and every, uh, each and every type of work. So uh, at the age of nine, uh, then I, I actually started feeling that I could not stay in the house because it was too much. And then uh, I was forced to run away uh, from my father's house. And then I went to my grandmother's house. And then uh, when I went there, life was also not very easy. So here I was forced to leave my father's house because my stepmom uh, mistreated us so much that I could not even stay in the house. So I went to my grandmother's place. And then she was also, she could not even take care of us. So by that time, uh, she was the poorest lady in our community. That even the poorest could call us poor. And uh, she could not even afford to do anything. So I was with her for about four years. And at the age of 12, then I decided to uh, live by myself. So I rented a house. And uh, uh, I became a man at the age of 12. 
Then uh, uh, I went in a very small house, started renting my own house. By that time, I never had anything to put into the house. And uh, uh, by, by, by that time, I had already known Christ when I was still in school. And, uh, but when I was in my little house, I could pay for my school fees from the age of 12. I could feed myself at the age of 12. I could do each and every type of work at the age of 12. So at the age of 13 and 14, then the devil told me that uh, uh, it was time for me to commit suicide. So that was the, uh, the I mean, that's when life became so hard. So uh, when I was in my room one time, and, and the devil told me that you have suffered a lot, what you need to do is to kill yourself. So by that time, I was in high school. I went to school. Reaching at school, uh, the devil told me that this is the best time for you to do this. And then I got a rope, put it into my bag, and then went to school. That day, I never went to, into my class because the spirit of death had covered me up. And uh, I felt like it was time for me to go. So I went to the school. I stayed the whole day out of the class. And then I waited for 6 p.m. to come. So 6 p.m., I went under this mango tree, and uh, I was going to commit suicide right from there. That was the year 1990. And uh, before getting my rope out of my bag, surprisingly, I never knew that Jesus was right under that mango tree. So before I did that, there came uh, uh, a schoolmate, actually my classmate, by the names of Richard. Richard told me that, Daniel, what are you trying to do? So, I told him that I'm going to commit suicide. So, he told me why. So, he told me that you need Christ. You need Christ. So, I told him that then after receiving Christ, what, what am I going to do next? So, he helped me to confess Jesus, to, 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 to accept Jesus as my personal savior. I received Jesus under that mango tree where I was going to commit suicide from. And Jesus was right there waiting for me. He loved me so much that he was not even late to be there. So he was right there at the right time that I was going to commit suicide. So I told Richard that uh, I've received Christ as my personal savior. Where am I going to go? I have no home. I have no house. My parents abandoned me. Uh, my grandmother was the poorest. I was living by myself. So Richard told me that, Daniel, you don't need to worry a lot. What you need to do, let me go to and, talk to and share this with my father. So what Richard did was to take me to his father. And then he took me to his father. And he shared with him. I don't know what he told him, actually. But when uh, I went into the house... Then his father received me and the whole family. There were six biological children. And then his father told me that, Daniel, you are going to be uh, one of us. So,
they received him in, in their house. And uh, I became like a son in the house. I was fostered and I was adopted. And that was the first time to hear somebody telling me that Daniel, we love you. That was my first time to hear somebody telling me that Daniel, come and dine with us. Come and eat. Be part of our family. So that was very tough. I had never had that. That was another experience for me. I tried to 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 uh, to embrace that statement, and it was too heavy. And I felt like uh, I felt like they were deceiving me because my father had never told me that. And uh, I was there for some time. I was accepted into the family. And uh, I was taken to school the following day. No, that was around Friday, Saturday. Uh, Sunday they took me to church. And I was glad to be in this church. Monday morning, so the father had a car. And they had to drive me to take me to school. I really went to school, coming out of the car, getting into the class. I felt like I was the son of a king that time. They bought me books. They bought me shoes. Uh, they bought me a school bag. And I felt like the heaven had come down. I felt the presence of the Lord. I felt the power of the Lord. I felt that love. So I was in that family for three months, living with them, sharing with them, and they really loved me, just bringing me to be part of their family, allowing me to sleep uh, on a bed. That was the first time to sleep on the bed. That was the first time to put on shoes. That was the first time to, I mean, to see a loving family caring about my life. So three months in that family, the father had sugar diabetes and pressure. And then we were at school. Then they told us that the father had died. So that was very sad. Then what happened after his death was in Africa, this is what we do that uh, when father dies, they divide the children. So they had to divide all the children. The six children were divided. And they were taken by the next of kings. And the uncles took some. And the aunts took some. And all these other people took some. All relatives took them. And uh, after dividing all the six children, and then I was not known in that family. Because I was known to one of the biological children in that family. So they took the six 
And then I remained in the house. So nobody wanted to take me. And uh, from there the devil told me that I told you three months ago to commit suicide. And then the devil showed me that I had the capacity. I had to do this. He convinced me. And he told me that look at the house. Look at the ceiling. Actually their house they don't have the ceiling. But the devil told me look, look at the roof. So I looked at the roof. And then I saw the rope. So the devil told me, commit suicide now. Or else you are going to suffer the rest of your life. So, I tried to calculate, to calculate it out. And then I found out that it was very easy for me to commit suicide. And I was ready to commit suicide that day. But before I did it, a voice within me spoke and told me that, Daniel, it is high time you went back to your grandmother's place. Don't commit suicide. So, I accepted what the voice told me. And I walked seven miles away from that family going back to my grandmother's place. Having reached there, that was Friday night. Saturday, I was there. Sunday, I was there. No, Saturday. Sunday, she saw me going to, to, to the church. And then she told me that, where are you going? I had my New Testament Bible. She, I told her that I'm going to church. She told me, I don't want you to go to the church. If you go to the church, you'll, you'll, you cannot be in my house. So she really wanted me to stay, not going to church. Then I told her that I have to go to church. She told me, if you are going to that church, better pack up your things. And after you go to the church, then you go somewhere else. So she told me that you have to make a decision now. Either to go to church or to remain in my house. So I had to make a decision again. So I had to go to church. I went to church. We worshipped the Lord. And then after, as a child, I came back home thinking that probably she will have mercy upon me. And then coming back from church, she had not yet changed her mind. She told me, if you went to the church, you are not going to be part. You are not going to be in this house. So I had to get a way of surviving again. And the Lord made a way for me. So my father and my stepmom came against me. By that time, my stepmom was so much on me that she went and convinced my dad and told her, and told him that, uh, that I should be uh, denounced in the family. My father came and told me that if you are a Christian, if you have decided to be a Christian, we are denouncing you right now. So I accepted that. I said, no problem. I'm going to be denounced because already I'd never seen anything good from them anyway and they had never taken care of me since I was born and I had raised up myself from 12 years and then I had already seen and tasted the sweetness of the Lord and the love of the Lord and then I had to make up a decision and I told my father that I'm ready so he told me that uh, you have been denounced. 
in this family. I don't him that's okay. So I continued going to church. And I went to church for about three to four months. The Lord was merciful enough that I was, as I was in my church where they told me not to go, I saw a man coming. And after the service, I saw this man kneeling down. And I saw this man confessing Jesus as his personal savior. Coming to him and turning before the congregation was my dad. He gave his life to Jesus. And he accepted him as his personal savior. And after he received Christ, then my stepmom told him that she was not going to be the wife in the house if my dad had given his life to Jesus. She was... Uh, she fought against it. After some time, after some months, by the love and the mercy of the Lord, I saw my stepmom in the same church coming down and, leaning, and kneeling down to receive Jesus as her personal savior. She received Jesus. We always celebrated together. I'm the pastor of my daddy. My stepmom passed away. But my daddy has always been coming. Always comes to church. Always visits us. I thank God of what the Lord did in his life. The Lord has been merciful and the Lord will still be our God. We accepted him to be our God. So that's how I was raised up. So life was not very easy. But by the grace of the Lord, the Lord was able to rescue me. Yes. Having uh, plotted to commit suicide three times. Actually, the first time that I was going to commit suicide, I, I was with my brother. We went on his truck, on my father's truck. And then my, and, 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 and then my brother jumped off. We had all intended to jump off at the same time. So my brother, elder brother, jumped off first. And then he broke his ribs and part of his leg. And then as I was also planning to jump out, so somebody overtook, overdrove, and then he stopped my daddy and, and told him that he had killed somebody. And after my daddy stopped his truck, I jumped off from the truck. And then I ran to my grandmother's place and I hid myself there. So I, I saw God saving my life three times from, commi from committing suicide. And uh, it has really been a blessing. Yes. And this is the message that I've always been taking to each and every Muslim young men and young, uh, the youths. Those who have been disappointed and rejected and abandoned. Mm -hmm. And this is the message that I usually share when I go to schools and universities and prisons. Telling them uh, that you can still be abandoned, rejected. You can go through each and every type of, you know, life but there is still hope mm -hmm. there is still a way god can always make a way where there seems to be no way yes so that's how the lord was able to rescue me and that's how i received christ as my personal savior so from that Thank time 
until now, Jesus has always been my Lord. And he will still be my Lord. And I will serve him. And I will uh, do whatever it takes to serve the Lord. Yes. Would you speak about your wife a little bit? My wife, we came to meet in 1994 in Rwanda. After getting saved in 1990, 1991, 1992, I went to Kenya. Two years in salvation. That was... Then the Lord spoke to me and told me to go to Kenya. I never knew anybody in Nairobi. I boarded a bus from Uganda. And I went to Kenya at the age of 16. I had put on my shorts. And then going to Kenya, I met a pastor. I never knew anybody there. So I told the pastor that the Lord told me to come here and minister. He told me that you must be crazy. You are too young even to travel. It was a very big church, Calvary. So he told me that, uh, how did you come? I told him that I came by bus. So he told me that uh, we are going to get you a ticket to be able to take you back to Uganda the next morning. So I said, that, yeah, that was okay. But in, inside me, I felt the Lord had already spoken to me. And I had that conviction in me. That was 1992. So that night, the Spirit of the Lord was able to speak to the pastor. Then the pastor organized a very small crusade for me on one of the streets in Nairobi. So they took a car battery and then they got a microphone for me to speak. So I went, I had a crusade on, uh, on the street and very many people were saved. And there was a lot of healing. And the, and the people told the pastor what happened when I went to Nairobi to minister. So the pastor told me that we are giving him another day to stay. So they gave me another day to stay. And then they organized another crusade for me on the streets, in one of the streets in Nairobi. I preached another day. So the pastor told me that now we are giving you a Bible study in the church. So I was welcomed. And then from there, they got me from the elder's house where I was staying. And then they brought me into their house. And then he announced in the church that I was going to speak on a Sunday service. So they, they organized another great conference for me. And a crusade. And the Lord, that's how the Lord introduced me to Kenya in 1992. After two years of my salvation. 1993, the Lord took me to Tanzania. At the age of 17. And it was almost the same way. Then I went to Tanzania, one of the biggest churches. And in 1994, the Lord took me to Rwanda after the genocide. So, genocide had just taken uh, Immediately after the genocide, 1994 genocide, in, the central, uh, in Central Africa, in Rwanda. That is, after the genocide, our church went to help the orphans. And I was among the people who were chosen to go by my pastor. So I went to Rwanda in 1994 as uh, a relief worker, as a missionary. And then 1994, that is when I happened to meet with my wife. She sub she was, she's one of the survivors of 1994 genocide in Rwanda. She lost all the parents. She lost all the family members. And she survived with only one sister. So they came to the center, to the orphanage center where I was ministering, where I was a missionary. And actually, I remember recording all her, uh, everything about her. So she told me all her story because that was my work. 
So she narrated all the story to me. And I felt so much touched to see this little girl going through all she went through. She told me each and every challenge. She told me how the parents were killed and how the mother was killed and how the sisters were killed and brothers were killed. And I had already also seen this as we were trying to, to go from, each, from one part to another part. Cleaning and the places and, and rescuing children and bringing them into the orphanage centers and, and cleaning uh, you know, places for, for accommodation. So telling me all this, I really felt so much touched by her testimony. I never knew that eventually that she would become my wife. Then she was in the center, 1994, 1995, 1996, 1997. Then a time came that all children who were above 17 years were, read, uh, were forced to go out of the center because the center could not support them anymore. So they said whoever is above 17 has to go and get a way of surviving. And then she was among them because they could not have enough support for each and every child. So by that time, she was able to go out of the center and then she had to go. Remember, she lost each and everybody. And then she was living with her. Uh, then she went out with her older sister. She never had she never had any place. I mean, she never had any family. So they went and they were connected to one of the, uh, their aunties. He was, she was not uh, a biological auntie, but this was someone that they used it to, like somebody who is to be their neighbor somehow, somewhere. So in Africa, somehow, somewhere, when one uh, is like a closed uh, neighbor, we sometimes call these people uncle, auntie, and if you're related to someone. So they went and lived with her. So that is how we came to find each other. So as she was walking, and as I was walking one time, then I came to meet her. And I told her that, Erica, where do you stay? Then she told me that I stay with my auntie, ABCD. And then I told her that, how did, did you go to school? How did you end up with the orphanage life? And she told me everything. And then she told me that life, I, you, you could even tell that life was not the best. So I felt so connected with her right from there. And we ended up marrying each other. 18, it's now coming to 18 years. So we got married together. And then we stayed in Rwanda for some time. Then we came to Uganda. And that's how we came to be together until now. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. The last thing I want to ask you, I think, with the time we have is tell us a little bit about your vision for orphan care ministry in your area. And actually, it's beyond Uganda, obviously. It's going into different countries. Can you tell us a little about the vision and what, what you're doing currently, even what your needs are right now? Like, what, what's going on? What's God doing? Getting to, connected to Erica, she came with a passion. She came with a passion of assisting orphans. So she came... Because she had ever been there. She had ever walked that journey. So getting married together, Erica came to me one time and told me that I, can, I, can, I, I, I cannot live in a house without having orphans in the house. I said, Erica, what are you talking about? <laughs> we were struggling for food. 
We were living in one bedroom in the house. We never had anything. Even our two children we had. By that time we had only one, Elijah, our firstborn. We could even struggle to get him food. So Erica comes up and says that she wants other children to come in our house. I told her that, Erica, you don't even know what you are talking about. <laughs> we are having a struggle to get food for one son that we have. Now you are talking of bringing other children that the ones we are not even related to. So she told me that this is my passion. This is my cry. I cannot be in the house without any other orphan. I felt like it was impossible. One time we went to a mission. We had a mission in one of the villages. Erica is the person whereby when she walks, she's going to ask every child, where are you coming from? Do you, is your father there? Is your mother there? Are you an orphan? Did you eat? And then I could ask her, Erica, why are you asking all these questions? Is there anything you are going to give to these children? And then she's like, yeah, I'm, I, I mean, this is part of my life. So we went to this village. Erica happened to find over 13 children. And then she told me that she was bringing them home. <laughs> and then I told Erica that we have one room in the house. Only one room. It is our living room. It is our bedroom. It is our everything. Where are we going to bring the 13 children plus one to make 14 and us to be 16? Are we going to be able to fit in the house? She told me that if we are not taking the children, I'm not going home. I would rather stay here with these children than going back to Kampala. I had to convince her to let the children stay so that we could go back and plan. So we went back, we planned. But she was always on my heart. Let's go and bring them back. Let's go and bring them back. Are you trying to forget what we said? Are you trying to forget? I told her that I'm not forgetting, but I'm still praying and I need to hear from the Lord. But she told me that, but the Lord has already answered. It is such a blessing to have these children. So we came back home. We had to do this thing anyway. Because I had to make her happy. And I had to fulfill. You, you know, she told me that she had a vacuum in her heart. And she always wanted that vacuum to be filled. And nothing could fill that vacuum apart from the orphans. So we happened to go back, brought 13 children. We rented a house. We, we were renting our own house. We were renting a church place. And then we had to rent a place for the 13 children. So we brought the 13 children. We never had any sponsor. We never had any money. We could also struggle to eat. We could also struggle to take care of the two children. By that time we had three by that time we had three. We could not even take care of them. And she had conceived our fourth baby by that time. She spent nine months without going to the hospital. She gave birth to a child that we did not even know whether he was a boy or girl. She never saw any doctor in nine months. And on top of that, she brought 13 more. You see the kind of life that we had. And then we brought the 13 children at home, struggling to get food, struggling to do each and everything. But at the end of the day, we had to bring them anyway. So we shared this with the church, and we told them that we have these children, and we need you to come and support us. 
But the church did not even have anything because we had just started the church two years. The church was too young with only seven families. So we could not even, the church could not even support us. We never had any sponsor. So what happened was to get a way of loving these children. So the Lord made a way somehow, somewhere. I came to the U.S. in 2007. So somebody spoke about adoption and foster care ministries. He introduced this message to me. I went back to the church and I shared this message for three months in our church. One Sunday service, I spoke, I stood and I told some of the elders that I feel it from the bottom of my heart that the Lord is telling me to share this and allow the people to bring the children into their own families. So I brought the 13 children in front, the orphans, and I told the church that these are our children. These are your children. So I told them that, is there anyone willing to come and take one child to be your own child? Foster and adopt. And by God's grace, the 13 children were taken in one single day. One service. The orphanage center was closed in a day. So all were taken into the church families. They have been there for eight years now. And they have a belonging. They have where to live. They have been discipled. They know the Lord. They minister in the church. They do all kinds of ministry in the church. And from there, the Lord gave us His grace. In that instead of taking care of the 13, now we are taking care of 51 children. And all of them are in church families. They have adopted them. They have fostered them. They have given them a belonging, a sense of belonging. And they love them. So what the church is doing, the church pays only the school fees and the medical bills. But other... Uh, uh, so the families take care of books and other you, you know, school materials, scholastic materials is being made by the families. But one major work, task that the family have is to, to love the children and take care of them. So right now, our church is taking care of 51 children. We don't have any orphanage center, but they are all in the church families. Our work is to support them and supporting the families that have taken into children. And what we are doing right now, like currently, we have two families. We have uh, supported them by starting small businesses for them. So what they do is when they take in a child, so we support that family. So now instead of the, the child to depend on, on us, now the family has a business and that's where they get money to take care of the, ch of, of the child. And it's working well. Hmm. It's working well. Yes. And the Lord has given us the grace now to open up a school. We have got a school in Mokono, which we opened up this year. And uh, it is an orphan school whereby we are taking care of children. And uh, these are all orphans. We really want God. We are asking the Lord to, uh, to uh, take care of these children, support them, and love them. We have them. The school has already started powerfully. The community has as many orphans as possible. And we have come up as a church to support this global call, according to James 1.27. So that's one of the reasons why we are in the U.S. That's one of the reasons why 
we are here we are here to ask you we are here to ask you to pray for us we are here to ask you to support us we are here to ask you to support the families that have taken in children we are here to let you know that the lord uh, uh, the lord is doing a great work in uganda and he can still use you and he can still use me to be a blessing to one family hmm. yes Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Give him a hand. If you want to know more, there is a brochure on the table outside here. Also, like I said, Pastor Daniel and his wife will be here for the Sunday school hour. That'll be at 1045. So get your coffee, come back up, and, and we'll have a question and answer time. Uh, there's a lot more stuff they're doing, as you might imagine. There's a lot of stuff going on. But th- I wanted to hit the, the highlight in, in, his, in his vision, which is it's going beyond Uganda. It's, it's going internationally around Africa, and it's just, just amazing what God is doing. So so thankful that we could spend time together this weekend and, and have you here. As we move into communion, I want to say a few things. You know, there's, there's one part of the Lord's Supper. You know, when you think about what the Bible says about it, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, you know, don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so you say, well, what's an unworthy manner? Well, uh, if you're not a believer in Christ, then the table's not for you. Uh, if you have unconfessed sin, you know, that you're not repenting of, the table's not for you. And, and then he says something in 1 Corinthians. He says, a, a person ought to recognize the body and blood of the Lord. He ought to recognize it. So in one sense, we recognize that the bread represents Jesus' body on the cross, and the blood represents His blood that covers our sin. Another part of recognizing the body of Christ is looking around you and realizing we are the body of Christ. Let's recognize that today. And so the communion table, I've heard it said, the communion table is the longest table. It's the longest table. Because it stretches from America to Kenya, America to Uganda. It stretches across the world and unites us because we come to the same table. And of course, I mean that metaphorically. You know, obviously this table is small and short, but it extends across the world because we all partake of Jesus together, right? There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ, he would say in Galatians. So, We are one, and the table's the longest one because we all come to it together. So this morning I'm inviting us to come to the table as one body in Christ. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Daniel to uh, stand down here and serve the bread, and I will serve the cup on this side, and we'll play some music, and we'll ask you to come forward. You know, pray a little bit. Think about what Christ has done. Thank Him in gratitude. Thank Him for making one body out of all the nations of the world that people would call on him and make us one. That's a huge blessing. It blessed me when I was in Uganda. And I know it's a blessing to have Daniel and his wife here to bless us as well. Uh, that, that's just, just, just an amazing privilege of being in the body of Christ. I, I think I said this after we came back from Uganda. It was wonderful to be able to walk into a church. And it didn't matter what church. We could just go in there and be welcomed in Jesus Christ and feel comfortable there. That's a huge blessing that we have only because Christ died to make us one. Only because he died. So we can have some good intentions and we can be politically correct and say we welcome you and we love other people, but it's Christ that bought our oneness. He bought it. 
It's not about our good intentions and about being nice and welcoming strangers in. It's about this being brothers and sisters because Jesus did it. So let's thank him today for that. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And if you're a believer in Christ, uh, when, when you feel led, we'll ask you to come forward. Of Daniel on this side and I'll be on this side. And, and we'll receive communion. The bread will be on this side. The cup will be on this side. And uh, come forward. Come forward and receive both in the Lord Jesus Christ.